Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome down to North Star Community's weekly message recap podcast. I am Scott. I am Teresa. We are the pastors at North Star Community. We're very excited to be bringing you this week's podcast as we uh, are excited every week. And frankly, uh, we don't know how you get through the days without having one of these to listen to. They come out every week. We know we've been getting emails just more than we can even handle asking us to put out one daily. And frankly, we don't have the time for it. Of course, everyone knows you're kidding. I am kidding. We are not getting those emails, but uh, we do enjoy doing it, and we have gotten some good feedback, so we're going to continue to do it. Um, but yeah, dailies are probably not on the horizon. Yeah, I, I think we'd uh, be called, that's called overexposure. Although, could I just say on a personal note <laughs> that we did our video? That's the best kind of overexposure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the best we can hope for in this ministry. Um can I say that I prefer podcasts to videotaping? Oh, I'm I'm sure. Yes. Cuz I can sit here with this podcast and and I'm not worried if I have boogers in my nose or anything, so it's great. Yeah. You probably should be worried about that, but it it won't affect the listeners, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm I, I it's my listeners that I care about. <laughs> uh, we're such caring people. I know. So we've been talking about, uh, it's my ter- my turn this week, my message that we're talking about. It is, and I was out of town, unfortunately, this past weekend, and I get back in town, and the first thing I hear is, what a great message uh, happened this weekend, what was given, <laughs> what, a great, what a great message happened. <laughs> I can't even talk anymore. Uh, so I missed it. I'm sorry to have missed it, but this means I'll be getting the information for the first time. Yeah. So I'll be able to ask all the best clarifying questions. I'm so glad you're here to grill me endlessly about this message. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a message that I came sort of out of the box, kind of hot to talk about uh, because... Buckle your seatbelts. Interestingly enough... Uh, although uh, I had prepared this message actually towards the end of 2018, uh, it couldn't have come at a more perfect time to talk on this topic because the previous Thursday night, we had had a researcher come to our family education program, which is always awesome and you should come to, by the way. Um, And he had talked about some of the latest research that they're doing in the field of uh, substance use disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. And he did a fantastic job. And people were kind of freaked out about it. All right. So open the door. Let us know uh, what he talked about and uh, what freaked people out. Well, for one thing, uh, I think we've been saying for years and years that as it related to substance use disorder, that it was a disruption in the reward system of the brain. Okay. But unlike when I get on a whiteboard and talk about the brain and draw a thing that looks like the side view of E.T., he had a lot of bells and whistles in his presentation. So Uh, let's hit the pause button for one second. Why don't you explain what what you mean by reward center for those who haven't heard any talk about substance use in the brain before. Okay. So uh, the way the brain is supposed to work is it is supposed to use the amygdala to help us survive. And so the amygdala gets really interested in what makes us feel good 
and what brings us positive benefit. And so, you know, once you've had a Reese's peanut butter cup, your brain knows that you need it to survive. But the reward system is such that there are checks and balances on that so that you don't eat 30 of them. So uh, for most of us, we can have a reasonable amount of stop-and-go traffic, right? Um, I see a Reese's peanut butter cup. My amygdala lights up and says, that was so good the last time you had that. Give me more. And I want more, more, more. But my prefrontal cortex says back, she's got to get in that little black dress on Friday night, and she doesn't have an inch to spare. She can't have more until after the little black dress event, right? Right. And then my human body can respond in kind. It'll say, okay, I'm not going to eat anymore. I am going to get in the little black dress and I am going to hoard these four peanut butter cups. And on Saturday morning, I'm going to eat them for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Right. But in substance use disorder, the reward center is disrupted. It says, I want more. I want more. I want more. And nothing else comes back to give it any consequences. Right. You want to go stay in a crack house for three days? You happen to forget that you have underage children. And when you come back, social services will have taken them from you. Right. So this is the conundrum of a there's no uh, disruptive There's no accountability system. for the desire. Yeah. There's no there's no there are no breaks. The brake lines have been cut. And um he explained that in such a technical and beautiful way. I mean, it was really a great presentation. But by the time we were through listening, parents, uh, and one was a, a first-time father. I mean, he... he first-time father. He was a first-time attender, and he was a father who had a son with an opioid addiction. First-time father, long-time listener. Yeah. He walked up to me after it was over and he said, there is no hope for my son. And he turned around and walked out. And uh, yeah, I mean, people were worried. I mean, they were upset. It's like, geez, now we really understand how broken this reward system is in the brain of someone with substance use disorder. And they have uh, found that this brokenness applies across some other mental health issues as well, that they, you know, were left wondering, what, what, do you, what does this mean? Does it ever heal? Yada, yada, hootie hoo. My guess is what the speaker intended with all of that is um, to use that information as an empathy creating device rather than as a hopelessness device, which, and in, in what I mean by that is, look, if there's something going on in the brain uh, that prevents these accountability structures from kicking in, then of course somebody is going to have a substance use disorder. Right. Right. And so part of what the, I think part of the benefit of what the research is doing, because because we're, we're trying to combat stigma, right? And, yes. And we've, we've gotten this disease model and people don't really understand the disease model. It's always, well, you get substance use disorder very differently than you get cancer in some cases, right? Right. So... How could it possibly be a disease? And I think what this research is doing for us, and, and you can push back on this if, if you want since you heard him speak, but I think what this research is doing for us is it's helping us see 
there are certain people who are way more susceptible to this than others yep. through no fault of their own. They came out with a certain set of, uh, with a certain package of stuff in their brains. Yep. Um, that happens to be different from people who don't end up with substance use disorder. And there's no clear cut uh, reason, at least there's no moral reason why those people would be more susceptible to this than others. And therefore, uh, we should be empathetic to the fact that they don't have the accountability structures that kick into place that prevent them from getting to such a dark place in life. And at the same time, we know people do recover. Right. So it's not hopeless. It's never hopeless. I think the information, the most significant thing about that information to me as I'm hearing it for the second or third time is that uh, it helps us see that it's not just a product of choices that lead people to where they end up in life when it comes to substance use disorder. Yes. There are other factors at play behind that. Two and people can make the same choices and get very different outcomes, but it's not because one's more moral than the other. Right. It's just because... We've got these uh, wiring things to overcome in some right. cases. Right. These neurochemical things happening. Well, and the thing of it is, is I would not want anyone to hear that he was anything other than an excellent presenter, and he himself was very empathetic. Right. I'm sure. I, he was great. Yeah. I wasn't there but again, it, so I did not mean to imply that. No, 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 no. I'm just making sure that I'm not implying it. And, and, and... I think in many ways it was a, a triggering conversation a bit because what some of the folks said to me after the meeting was, you know what? My kid has always been like this with this screwed up reward center. And I had never thought of it like this before. Right. They you, can look back and see evidence that this was in play before. Yeah. So they and and so then they were kind of like, well, then what are the implications for this? Because we've always assumed that if our kid got and stayed sober, he would heal. You know, the brain would would heal and get back online, and everything would be back to normal. And and one of the dads said to me. My kid's never, his brain has never functioned normally. I forgot that when I got so attached to finding a quote, quote, cure for the addiction piece. Mm -hmm. So I think that probably other families were experiencing that. They were like, oh, my gosh. Uh, and again, this should be very empathetic. Uh, re uh, response could come out of this. But also, I think this idea that we are dealing with a cunning and baffling enemy called substance use disorder, and it is complicated. Yep. And getting somebody to abstain does not necessarily uh, make all the problems go away. Right. So what? What? So. Then when I'm looking at my notes for the weekend, I'm like, you know, this is really a God thing because I'm really fired up to give this message uh, and this particular text because I feel like they it was created to be an encouragement post-Thursday night. Mm -hmm. So the passage I had selected was out of Romans chapter 4. 
which had hit me so hard when I was reading it uh, back in November, whenever that was, to the point where I know I've read Romans 4 at least 400 times, but I had never seen the these verses just leapt off the page and into my mind. So uh, it's in this Romans 4, it says something uh, like this. The story we're giving is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. So there was a turning point for Abraham. And so what I said last weekend to start off was, I think part of the clarification we needed to make about Thursday night was that the researcher was doing his job and he was only talking about Abraham. Okay, so unpack this for me. So you're you're using this metaphorically. Yes. And I think what I think what I heard you implying is that um, we were talking about a small piece of the story on right. Thursday night. Right. And if you're only focused on a small piece of the story, you maybe miss the uh what um uh it, <laughs> i don't know what to say right like you, you you overly focused on a piece of the story you miss the sweep of the overall beginning middle and end is that right kind of what we're talking about right is that and, the I, and i you know i feel so grateful to be where we are and do what we do because if you only focus on the middle then and you don't see the beginning or the end then you're, you're in the middle piece of a story generally is the part where things have gone wrong. Right. Right. So I think maybe what you're saying is if you're only focusing on the part that's gone wrong and you don't see the beginning and the end, then yes, hopelessness is more likely to happen and there's more to the story and that's where we find the hope. Is that kind of the idea? A little bit, okay. uh, but more expansive than that, I think, in that this guy is being paid money to study the organ of the brain. Mm -hmm. And yep. I'm likening that to the Abraham story. He is studying the physiology of mankind. But Romans 4 tells us that the, the, the story, the big story, is a God story, not just one individual human being's part of the story. And that when we... When we step around and beside this, this very small view of one man's brain and how it does or does not work, it can be a turning point for us. So remember what the verse said again. The story we're giving is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. So there was a turning point. And it had nothing to do with Abraham and everything to do with what Abraham was willing to do in terms of trusting God. So I think I've not understood 
how the, how these verses connect to the Thursday night conversation. Well, hold up, hold on, because you're going to, and you're going to think it's brilliant. Okay. So when you and I are big advocates of the 12-step model, and one of the things that I love about the 12-step model, although if you can get sober using anything, more power to you, but we love the 12 steps, and we love the way we we interact with it from a faith-based perspective. So the second step, right, is coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, right? And the third step is we made a decision to turn our life over to the uh, care of God. And to me, Romans 4 is saying, hey, Abraham did a third step. And hearkening back to the second step in all this, that the 12-step program never, uh, and the the founders of the 12-step program never presumed that they had to get well in order to be in recovery. They presumed a certain sickness that they managed at all times. And this seems so crystal clear to me that what we're talking about in recovery is trusting in something bigger than ourselves so that in our weakness, God's strength might be made manifest. So let me show you the rest of Romans 4. So he goes on to talk about Abraham. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Then it goes on and says this. If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do and you trust him to do it, you can never do it for yourself no matter how long and how hard you worked. Well, the trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God by God, sheer gift. So I feel like that both the 12 Steps and North Star community in particular rest our hope in recovery uh, not on finding some perfect cure, not on restoring someone's brain, but on awakening someone's heart to the spirituality and the presence of God in their lives. And so brain schmain. Um, I want those researchers to find new ways for us to treat a substance use disorder. But I'm not waiting around for somebody to give us a miraculous cure to our busted reward system. Because I believe that the scripture in general, and Romans 4 in particular, is giving us a hint into the possibility of a turning point when we trust something larger than ourselves. And I think there are many implications for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, There. I mean, there, there are certain things that 
that maybe I'm not following about Abraham, but I, I mean, I couldn't agree more that um, our hope is much, uh, our, our hope is certainly much larger than our wellness. I mean, we hope for wellness, um, obviously. Uh, but I think one of the messages that we've tried to give again and again, and I think this is something that, that parents almost need to relearn when they've really been at the end of their ropes for a long time, Yeah, is that um, even if things don't change, because there's people who are not going to get well. We right. know that about recovery. And everybody fears that for their... Right. Loved one. For their loved one, right? And so it's like there's there's this blend of... Even if that ends up being your loved one, that doesn't mean that their life had no value. It doesn't mean that they didn't have significance. It doesn't mean that they didn't have dignity or that they weren't a human being. Right. And sometimes it's really hard to regain that sense. You know, sometimes you, you know, it comes very intuitively when they're young. Right. And then when you've been at your wit's end for a really long time, I think it becomes also very intuitive to for that to leave your grasp yeah and to give up but you know saturday night when we were having this conversation i looked around the room and i could look at two people who together had almost 50 years of sobriety mm -hmm. now you crack open their skulls you poke out their brains you you measure them that's not really how they do brain studies because you'd be dead, but, you know, work with me. Um, if all we have to go on for research, these two guys shouldn't have this much sustained recovery between them. And that's kind of what the researcher said on Thursday night. It's like, I'm struggling with these brain constructs to know how anybody sustains recovery without being in a cycle of recovery, relapse, recovery, relapse, recovery, relapse. Well, I, I think also it's important to understand uh, what role that hyper-specific research plays in the larger story of the research, which it's like part of what you need to do. And that, look, recovery research is very much in its infancy. Right. But part of what you need to do is identify exactly what the problems are so that you can construct uh, solutions that address the actual problems, yeah. not just solutions that feel like they might work. Well, yeah, like I, I can't get over the ways I'm going to have different conversations now knowing what he taught me. Mm -hmm. It's going to change the way I have conversations with people. Um, and I'm, I might be a teeny tiny marginally bit more effective because of what I learned from him. I mean, that's my hope. I'm certainly going to try it and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it, what it makes me think about, as it just as a for instance, and I think there's, you know, there's several several examples that that we could point to. Maybe we don't need to go all the way down this path, but, um, you know, you and I talk about it's become very trendy to bash the twelve steps and to say, well, you know, there's not people aren't getting sober at high enough rates in twelve step communities and stuff right. like that. Right. And the thing is, if part of the problem is uh, this lack of accountability in the reward system. 
then how beneficial would it be to be in a community where you're encouraged to have a sponsor, where you're encouraged to have accountability, where you're encouraged to bounce stuff off other people, to take responsibility for your actions, where you're trained to do all of this stuff that makes you into a, uh, in their language, a, a spiritual human being, right? I mean, so... That's the point of Romans 4. It's like... You know, on your own, without a turning point, the best you can do is what you can think up between your two ears. But when you have a turning point, then what you move is, is you you move from your story to our story, and it's not our own. And we move beyond our small worldview, what I want, what I need, how I hurt, uh, why I exist, we move beyond, and this is why this is why I believe in North Star community so much. Because every freaking week, we come together multiple times to remind ourselves that we exist as a we, not as a me. Mm-hmm. And that it matters what we're doing in community. And I get really fired up about this because now what this dude is telling me is left on our own. Our brains will not think of that, and it will be self-destructive. But I have a lot, a personal, a lot of accountability when it comes to how to live as a we more so than as a me. And that's a big freaking deal. Yeah, yeah, learning, uh, certainly learning how to live... um, uh, with an awareness and an understanding uh, that not only that the world is much larger than ourselves, but that we want to um, live intentionally with that knowledge and to surround ourselves with others uh, such that we are uh, shaped by the world around us and not just hoping that the world adapts to us. Let me give you an example. Uh, you know, today you and I are running around like chickens with no heads. And uh, so... Uh, Standard a standard crazy schedule and short timeline. And I remembered something that I forgot that I needed to do that required me to go pick up some um, ingredients at Wegmans. So I was in Wegmans and I had, in my mind, I had seven minutes to accomplish this task. And I was in the store, and there was a lady that was really being annoying in front of me and not following cart etiquette, and I couldn't get around her, and she was cutting into my timeline. (laughs) And I really, really wanted to be impatient. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) You wanted to be impatient, or you were feeling impatient and not sure how you were going to act on it? I felt impatient, and I was wrestling with my inspired way of seeing Yep. That the fact that I only had seven minutes wasn't her problem. And I want to I want to create an environment where people are treated kindly and are allowed to be slow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And are allowed to accidentally inconvenience people because she had no idea that she was doing that, right? There was no reason to be annoyed with her. At all. It would be inexcusable for me to do that. And uh, But the only reason I think it's inexcusable is because my reward system is not screwed up. 
And so I can think bigger than what I need and what I want in that instant. So what happened is, is I chose, based on my inspired way of seeing, to remain calm and patient and eat into my time. And when the lady moved out of the way and I went to move forward, a lady who was standing to my left said to me, I really loved your blog post this morning. Mm. Right? <laughs> yeah. So and it was in, about in not words, being critical of people, okay? In, in, in other words, it's a good thing you kept it cool. Now, if we weren't trying to be intentional and out there, and if I didn't live in a community where I was part of people who want this message reinforced, I would have had a different way of seeing in Wegmans. I probably wouldn't also be writing a blog post about criticism, right? But just, you know, I was just very grateful that I remembered my inspired way of seeing in that moment. Right. Uh, because what good is writing a blog post if you go in Wegmans and you act like a jerk? Not great. Not great. Not great. Not great. So that was what this message was about. It's it's about creating communities, whether it be mutual aid societies, North Star Community, Mercy Street in Houston, uh, the Renewal Center in Houston, um, all the places around the country that are trying to do this, um, that this is a story of God. We are lucky to live in the middle of it. Um, and we are practicing trusting God and his process and what he tells us we need and want. Um, and how he teaches us to deal with adversity and to remind us day by day that we exist as a part of his bigger story. And... Um, I think this is the additional and equally important piece of information uh, that goes with any brain study you ever want to talk about. And you know I love brain studies. Uh, yeah. You do love that. I do. <laughs> well, do you feel like you feel like we got to the core of what you were trying to I do, but now I'm all hyped up about it again, and I'm all excited, and yet I have to go do a quiet activity next. <laughs> I may need to run around the building a few times because I've got myself all excited about this. You should this. do that. I, you're wearing heels, so I don't see how anything could, could go wrong with that. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Yep. In 40 below weather, some yeah. parts of the country. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to be going outside. I'll stand in solidarity with my friends from Wisconsin and not go out. There you go. Well, thanks for letting me uh, vent. I know I get kind of emotional about this message. <laughs> but I just believe that people can get better, even if there are certain little parts of their brain that don't work quite right. My gosh, if they looked at your PET scan, no telling what they think you would be capable or incapable of doing. Me or anybody. Well, you in particular, but yeah. also anybody else. Yeah, who knows. Um, all right. Thanks for playing with me today. Great message. And now you're hearing music. From 
blue.sessions. They can be found on the web at sessions.blue if you have found us uh, by virtue of the technological wonders of the internet. And you're very curious about this video we're creating. <laughs> We've got several videos in the works that are going to be up soon. Uh, but yeah, if you want to know more about us, who we are, what we do, we are, again, North Star Community, and we can be found at www.northstarcommunity.com. We're located in Richmond, Virginia, uh, specifically Midlothian. Can often be found at Wegmans. <laughs> I can never be found at Wegmans, but um, yeah, it's hard to find me anywhere. Roastology Coffee, yeah. you could find me there. Our favorite roasters in the world. Yep. Uh, free plug. They're not sponsoring the episode. Um, yeah, we've done, I think, just about everything we can do, and I'm proud of it. And we're going to put a stamp on it, and we are going to talk to you guys next week. Yeah, peace out. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.